Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ash. My name is Craig Schneider. That gentleman 1,100 miles south-southeast of me is Kip Fisher. And we are coming to you live for the, what is this, the 81st time? Yeah. yeah. 81st episode on August 29th, 2014. Kip, we... my man. How the heck are you? I'm delightfully uh, humid. <laughs> Actually, it's not it's not miserable tonight. We had a a good enough rain this afternoon to kind of make it a little feel a little cooler. Anyway, yeah, uh, the rain in the summertime in Florida comes in two different ways. And generally, we have afternoon showers most days, and either it's a brief shower that just makes Everything miserable because it takes none of the heat away, but provides 100, near 100 percent humidity. Or it stays around long enough to cool it off. And thankfully today we had that one, the the latter. Hmm. We have been uh, we have been experiencing not Floridian type weather, but uh, much more traditional Midwestern high humidity, uh, 90s, upper 80s. Uh, and uh, I thought that it was nothing but miserable, so I couldn't even imagine having to deal with 100% humidity. Because we're nowhere near that. I mean, we're on a bad day, we're 85, 90% humidity, but that's, you know, we've had maybe a half dozen this month that are like that, you know. The rest are still 90 degrees and 70% humidity, which isn't fun, but it's not hellacious. Oh, yeah, and we typically stay 70 to 85, and it's the rain so that will just drive it up. Mm, okay. Well, good. I don't feel so bad for you, then. Nah. <laughs> uh, well, we have one of your fantastic favorite cigars of the week tonight. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about it, or do you still want to complain about your horrendous heartburn? Nah, I'll get over it. Get a, a, a good belch here in a minute, and all the heartburn will all be gone. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, tonight we are smoking. If you can see this in the camera, I can't see myself. I'm trying to kind of guess where it's at. The uh, Hoya de Nicaragua Dark Corojo, or Antonio Dark Corojo. Doble fuerte, as the foot band says. Um, and this uh, particular Vitola is the... Uh, El Martillo, or the hammer. And it's a 5.5 by 54, which is not normally my uh, preferred Vitola in this line. I actually like the Poderoso, which is very close to Corona kind of size. Uh, this just happens to be what I had in the humidor at the time we were trading cigars, so that's what we went with. Um, this particular cigar, as I alluded to, mentioning the foot band that says Doble Fuerte, double strong. Um, this this cigar or this line tends to hit most of my local co cohorts uh, pretty squarely uh, in between the eyes with the strength. And, and as is the case with um, many out there in the public, but for whatever reason, this line doesn't normally impact me that way. I, I took a, a note from Bob McDuffie, and I love to have these with a cup of coffee in the morning. They're just a fantastic way to start the day. And... Uh, Whatever craziness goes on in my physiology tends to protect me from their strength. But uh, anyway, over the years, just generally speaking about the flavors in these, I've noticed that over time uh, there's some drift. Uh, you know, at times I've gotten just citrus 
out the wazoo with these things, and at other times, actually more commonly, a lot of the really dark, raisiny, cocoa kind of flavors that, that really come through. Um, Nicaraguan Puro, uh, the only real information I have more than that is an Oscuro Corojo wrapper, uh, and they don't really disclose just a whole lot of the uh, specifics on the, the blend components. But uh, I think that's about it, at least to get started. Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I have to say, I was never really a, a Corojo fan. I, I, I had always kind of attributed... Um, do I even say the bastardization of uh, the the varietal once it uh, once it kind of went to you know uh, went around to other countries? I just never really had great characteristic luck with it. I didn't think that it really brought that much to the table, which was unique and, and enjoyable. And then uh, Jose Blanco just completely blew my mind with one of his tasting sessions where we tasted just raw Corojo. Dominican Corojo, um, and I had never had anything like it in my life, a single tobacco that was so complex and so seemingly blended and so powerful. Um, and this was this was before Jose even worked for Guayra, um, uh, Nicaragua. So it was, uh, it was a very enjoyable and educational experience, and thus, ever since then, I've kind of as much as someone like me uh, who doesn't really seek out new cigars, um, I have kind of uh, given preference to cigars that profile Corojo tobacco. And uh, this is one that absolutely is a, yields a great result. I absolutely adore it. It has strength, flavor, complexity, and really borders on that deep, dark, raisiny, Stewed dried fruit flavor that is just spectacular. Excuse me, spectacular. I I agree, and it is widely used these days. I mean, I know at at, at specifically at the, at this moment, there are a lot of folks really experimenting, playing, and putting out cigars with uh, San Andreas wrapper. But Nicaraguan Corojo is uh, a dime a dozen. I mean, there are many different things that can be achieved with the with the leaf. And we see it in the marketplace. It's just all over, especially Hoya de Nicaragua. The design guys, man, they can't get away from it. They use it in 90% of what they make. Pretty popular relief. Well, the, the Grana Bono number five, their most popular best-selling cigar is the Corojo number five. I mean, that's that Corojo leaf really gives that blend its uh, its personality, its character. But... And that is absolutely Nicaraguan, jalapen-grown uh, Corojo leaf. I have to ask, how's the draw on yours? I haven't even tried it yet. Hold on. Perfect. Just slight resistance, and uh, I'm not fully lit. I was just toasting, but doesn't seem to be the slightest bit of a problem. Good. Uh, I actually seem to have, in the past year, had a a greater occurrence of tight draws in these cigars than I would normally think to be the case. But mine's oh. perfect as well. I uh, I can't say I've ever had a problem with the Dark Corojo, although my preferred size is the, I'll call it a, the Tre Petit Corona, the smallest of this. Those are just little 
just breathtaking little cigars packed with flavor. You're talking about the same one I was? They call the Poderoso? Poderoso. Poderoso. No R in there, right? Poderoso. Poderoso, yeah. Yes, that's the one I'm talking about, I think. That's my favorite of the line, too, and that's what this tonight would have been had I had those on hand at the time. Well, I started the show smoking a cigar that took me much longer than I had expected. I'm uh, probably only halfway through it. It's one of the cigars that I'll talk about later on. Um, and was just smoking along when we started the show and then realized I needed to change over. So I am just getting lit now. Hmm. Hmm. Well, as you mentioned, it's show 81, which, as Zacanudo mentioned in the chat room, that's half a baseball season. But uh, I thought maybe you might want to give us the initial briefing of what's up for tonight. Yeah. I uh, enjoy my little oh, Reader's Digest, what's to come. Let's, let's not say Reader's Digest. Let's say TV Guide preview of what we have for this show. Uh, it should be a, another fun show with a great, reliable cigar. I, uh, I don't think anybody is under delusions that this is a... Time out. Can you yes. hear this? Can you hear the crazy yipping and howling? And no, I hear what sounds like a locust. No, they're gone. Oh, you hear crickets now. The the my local coyotes were yipping. Oh, were they? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, I don't know if that screen would protect you over there. Watch yourself, Kip. I got a wooden fence around too. Oh. <laughs> Well, okay. Sorry about that. Go proceed. No, no. Hey, it's uh, it's your show, man. It's your show as much as it is mine. You can stop me whenever you want. I uh, I was just saying that we've got uh, a, a great, reliable cigar, similar, I would imagine, um, as how I kind of discussed that Cabaguan Maduro, just one that you reach for that just always sits you, uh, sits right with you. I don't think anybody's going to say that this is. Uh, uh, a world breaker, but without question, uh, a fantastically enjoyable stick. We've got some important news from both big manufacturers as well as the legislative side of things in the cigar industry. And uh, we might just have a fun discussion about blending and if there might just be some shortcuts being used by an established blender. Ooh, controversy. Well, let's not say controversy. Let's say perhaps efficiency. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, nothing's confirmed, but uh, we're just going to have a little bit of fun talking about it. I noticed uh, some things this week when trying a new cigar. I thought it might be an enjoyable topic to bring up here. Yes. Well... Before we hop into news, do you have any uh, initial reactions or thoughts on this stick as you've lit up perhaps a slightly different size, you said, than uh, what your preference is? Uh, yeah, I'm actually used to this Vitola, too. It's, it's, I keep them around on occasion, but n- normally I do go for the Poderoso. Um, it's a little m- more toward that uh, lighter, airy citrus. And I don't want to even say citrus. It's just not... The, this, this particular one is not the dark, sweet, uh, you know, cocoa-y kind of flavors that sometimes come out of these. I get uh, much more woodiness in the, the draw 
and much more raisin in the room aroma. Mm. That's different to me. I don't normally get the, that striking of a uh, uh, of variation where I'm getting that raisiny flavor in the room aroma, but not the taste of it. Well, in uh, tagging along to our pre-show discussion that nobody was a party to, I'm slobbering all over this thing, which is not normal for me. Ooh. Maybe it's all the water you've had. <laughs> that could be true. Well, we've got uh, our first news story here. It just happens to be a, a, a new cigar from a, a big manufacturer, Drew Estate, one of the largest cigar manufacturers in the world, actually. Yeah. Uh, as well as tied in with Herrera Esteli, one would imagine. You want to uh, talk a little bit about this? Because I have to admit, this is uh, new to me. Yeah, I, I, actually, I think Herrera Esteli is is pretty much part of Drew Estate because Willie Herrera is now their master blender. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's a new cigar from Willie Herrera, one of his blends. Uh, uh, quote I saw said he had actually this is a blend he came up with some time ago. It's one of the one of who knows how many blends he uh, concocted in the past couple of years. Um, but he's putting out what he's calling a concept cigar, which I totally misspelled in the notes. Um, <laughs> saw that. <laughs> produced in extremely small batches for one specific retailer per release, and that per release is kind of a a key concept there. Uh, it, it, this is going to be released, and it's going to go to different retailers at different times and different releases. So this is just the very first run uh, of the the series. I actually don't know if it's uh, going to be called the same thing. Um, hang on a second. I'm trying to pull a link up here. And this 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 time around, it's going to uh, Barrister Cigars, which I think is uh, up in New Jersey, maybe Union, New Jersey, if I'm remembering correctly. But uh, it's called the Tienda Exclusiva uh, by Willie Herrera. It's going to be uh, 10 count boxes. I don't know total production on this. Uh, It's going to run for about 12 bucks a stick. Um, They did not release any uh, specific blend details. I understand somebody has published that it was going to have a Mexican San Andres wrapper, but I have not personally confirmed that yet. Um, I would imagine other than that, it's going to be heavily dominated by Nicaraguan tobacco. I... um, I think it's a little bit of a coincidence. We were just talking last week about another manufacturer who is doing uh, the same sort of thing. Um, Quesada has uh, a similar situation going. Over the last year and a half, they've put out uh, a release to one um, tobacconist each month. Uh, And now that's not a different release to each tobacconist for each year of the, or each month of the year, but it is one month one tobacconist will get the uh, Quesada Espana Lancero. The next month, the next tobacconist gets the Quesada Espana Lancero, but they're each only getting one cabinet. And then this year, it's the Quesada Espana Ninfa that's going around. So it's it seems to perhaps be a little bit of a combination of, let's just say, a shop exclusive as well as a limited release. It's it's a shop exclusive that kind of bridges the gap and is a little bit more um, a little bit more available or 
a little more available in different regions, maybe I should say. Casada certainly isn't putting out a large number of cigars, but who knows? Maybe uh, Drew Estate may also be putting out an extremely number, extremely small uh, amount, and truly um, extremely small. They say small batches, but I'm guessing that's not uh, one box a uh, store. I don't think it's one box, probably, but it's going to be, looks like, even time-limited. September the 2nd from 6 to 9 p.m. <laughs> limited. Uh, the, the, shop, the shop is having an event with Jonathan Drew and Willie Herrera uh, at, at the event, and it's from 6 to 9 on the 2nd, and it doesn't say they're available anymore after that. Uh, all the, the only other... Numbers. It does not even really numbers. It just said it will only be produced a few times per year and a different retailer at each time. Um, so you know, who knows? Maybe that's a box. Maybe it's fifty. I don't know. So, kind of a rat hole. Our first rat hole of the evening. What in the world do you think Jonathan Drew still even does for Drew Estate? Do you think that he's intimately involved in daily operations? I can't answer that. I, I honestly am not uh, closely familiar enough with Drew Estate to, to talk much about him. I mean, I know he has a good team in place that seem to be much more, um, they seem to have much more history and understanding and hands-on experience with tobacco than he does, and that... I don't know that I've ever seen him with a cigar in his hand, to be honest with you. Is it smoking a cigar? Yeah. Oh, I've definitely seen him smoking cigars. Oh, I know he smokes cigars. I'm just saying it's not the same as most other guys who run a cigar company. When I uh, I wasn't really down on... I, I wasn't really in Nicaragua on a cigar safari, but um, I was on a cigar tourism uh, tour... And we spent some time at um, Drew Estate. In fact, we actually stayed at Drew Estate and used that as our home base um, for all the different factory tours and visits that we went on. Um, and John Drew absolutely led our tour of their facility. And when we did our blending sessions and when we talked, when we really talked turkey on tobacco, it was John Drew. Dion Giolito, as well as, um, oh my goodness, uh, Nick Malio, jeez, I couldn't remember his name for a second, um, who were in a room, and John was absolutely leading that very in-depth, um, specific conversation about tobacco, and he was answering every question that we threw at him. So I certainly know that he is a very capable tobacco man, now whether he has the <clears throat> ability to lead a conversation or blend a cigar are not, you know, those two are uh, are certainly not uh, able to go hand in hand, based on assumption alone. But I I know that he has a very well rounded education on the business. I'm just curious if now, you know, with all the thousands of miles he puts on uh, traveling from place to place, does he just use that as his main role, or is there something else? I'm just curious. I don't know. You know, I mean, Nick Malio is, has left the company now, and they basically have most of a new team. Um, 
and Willie is now the master blender. So I don't, I don't know what Jonathan Drew does, I, and and that's and I don't mean that to sound negative. I, I just am not familiar enough with the company to to really talk much about it. Hmm. Well, as Coop, as Will Cooper often does, he's in the chat room. Let's see if he bails us out with the facts <laughs> we need here. Well, sorry for that little rat hole. I'm uh, particularly interested in our next news story. I've seen, I've gotten umpteen emails about this and seen some uh, spots online, but I have been ultra uh, distracted, let's, we, let's say, this week. So I don't really know much about what, uh, what you've got in here. Yeah, and, and actually I've been pretty distracted too. I, I put these notes, I think I posted a skeleton of notes last night and really just pushed the others together this afternoon. <laughs> but, I noticed. Uh, our next story is that uh, coming up in October on the 24th actually, which I believe will be our pipe uh, episode, or maybe the first of our pipe episodes, um, that night will be the third annual Havana Nights put on by Berta Bravo, the Guaybera Lady, and the Fuente family, and I believe Hublot, the watchmakers, are also in there somewhere. Um, this is a typical charity event. There will be food and cocktails and celebrities hanging around, that kind of thing. Uh, the, it's, it's a big fundraiser for CFCF, which is the Fuente and Newman, the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, uh, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, and, of course, there will be cigars. 125 bucks a person, 200 for a couple, um, and you will have another opportunity to spend some money there if you like and uh, bid on some auction items. They normally have some crazy rare stuff that you won't ever see anywhere else the rest of your life up for auction at that, uh, at that gathering. So I, I haven't been to it. I've been to a lot of other Fuente ones, but I seem to be busy every year when they have this particular event, uh, but it sounds pretty cool. I, uh, <clears throat> I know Roberta Bravo very, well, I don't know her very well. I know of her very much, and uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. I might have to do a little research. Hmm. Hmm. Not now, but... Yeah. Make a trip down to Miami, man. Uh, what I wouldn't give. You know, we did just uh, refinance our house last week and save 500 bucks a month on our new mortgage. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, so so now I can afford uh, $125 a person and a flight down there and maybe even a hotel. Yeah, now just you can... one month. You, you can support my cigar habit and send me cigars in Dominican Republic all the time. Uh, you know, I... I would be more than happy to send you a monthly package, and I'll even throw in some extras. <laughs> I honestly would guess they would never make it. Really? Yeah. It's it's hard. It's really hard to get anything into that country if it is related to a vice. If it's uh, alcohol or tobacco and it's unattended, somebody's going to take it. If it's electronics, somebody's going to take it. Uh, not even electronics, electrical, household appliances, I understand, have a hard time getting there. It's, it's Wow. Yeah, it's turned out to be a little complicated sometimes, but, eh, it'll work out. Hey, uh, Cigar Coop, <laughs> did you see his comment in the chat room? No, I didn't. 
And he just said, uh, I have never seen Jonathan smoke a cigar. <laughs> wow. I have I have personally given Jonathan Drew cigars and smoked with him. I, I know that he uh, smokes, and I'll... I'll not put words in his mouth, but I will uh, absolutely summarize discussions that I've had with him. And he smokes acid at times because he has to smoke acids because it's part of his company. But he much prefers a real cigar, a premium cigar. Mm-hmm. <coughs> those those bands will come off and move to something else. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. I'm just teasing. Not really. <laughs> Hmm. Okay, well, Coop's, Coop's coming back and more. But Jonathan really runs the company. He knows every asset of the business, and most importantly, he has the vision. Yeah, I don't think anybody's in doubt of that. We, I think Craig's real question was not not of his abilities or or anything like that. It's just if he is still involved day to day, or if his in, all of his time in its entirety is consumed with the travel and the events and everything. Yeah, that's precisely what the question is. It's much more. It's much more about has he laid his plan, um, put his plan in place, and it is uh, healthy enough to run without his constant supervision, or is he is he a, a <laughs> an owner that truly is uh, involved in intimately in different aspects of it? So. I don't know. But Coop certainly does have uh, what appears to be a very valid uh, answer to our question. So, Yeah. Hey, back to the Dominican shipping thing. Maybe we can work out a trade for some uh, some Hinky Kilner Jr. products. <laughs> that uh, is always possible. You know, I've already contacted couple of people who have their cigars made in that factory, so I'm, I will be in that factory shortly after the move. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, your mic just got better. Did you see the comment? I did. I uh, I don't know why it defaulted to a room mic. I apologize. No problem. I just thought you were in a barrel or something. No, no. I uh, I just switched everything over to my headset and Seem to be good to go now. You are a hundred percent better, much much better. Oh, well, there we go. I'm glad. Yeah, the first thirty minutes I'll just chop out of the show, no problem. <laughs> it's not like we had anything, you know, viable in that first half an hour, anyways. No, we just put out a mass-produced product. You can cut and paste anything in now. This show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else we got in the news tonight? Well, let me switch over. I'm still in my uh, Google Hangout page here, trying to get my mic all set up. Ah, oh yeah, this news story from Nebraska. This is uh, <clears throat> this is actually big legislative news. This is tobacco uh, bans really climbing the ladder. Um, on the judicial side of things and getting, making it all the way to Nebraska's Supreme Court. And that court has ruled that uh, the exemption which had previously allowed uh, smoking in designated uh, businesses and designated areas such as cigar bars, um, it has ruled that to be unconstitutional. 
Um, it upheld the band ban, excuse me, but struck down those exemptions, those set exemptions. So businesses which had been granted that exempt status uh, will have to eliminate smoking in their establishments. And yes, this does include tobacconists. It's it's just shocking to me that that was the portion of this that has been viewed unconstitutional. Yeah, I, I think what it is is the unconstitutionality that was declared is uh, that they had passed a ban and written the exemptions, and the court said the exemptions were uh, too much tampering. They were, you know, too much catering to a piece of the populace to, by and including that in legislation. So it declared the exemptions were no good, and so people who have been granted this exemption. They have the permits in place. They have everything they need. Now the game is completely changed. And you tell me how John Doe, tobacconist in Nebraska, with no no longer has the ability to smoke in it, is now going to be able to compete with the Cigars International. I I can't. I mean that to 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 me. I love local tobacconists. I love to go hang out, sit in a chair and chat with folks and have a cigar and that keeps me coming to, to brick and mortar shops and to be honest that's what has kept me from doing much business at all online and it's not that I have some beef with online stuff you know that I just support the shops that I go to mm-hmm. but if they suddenly if they no longer had that to offer they no longer had you know, I can't go there and hang out and have a cigar I walk in buy my cigars and leave I gotta be honest. I'm gonna save the buck. I well, I can't fault you. I mean, that's what I'm I paying for. I mean, I'm paying not a premium. I mean, it's just normally in a shop the prices are higher, and your prices being higher have to support all the overhead associated with what they provide. And that overhead is no longer provided, so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you do. And I know there are some other states that already have the same kind of thing in place. And, and I think it was it was Washington or Oregon. I believe it was Washington uh, placed a ban several years ago, just outright, in tobacconists and cigar bars and everything else. And after a year or two, enough ruckus was made that they rewrote it to allow. Uh, certain size establishments to get an exemption, but they have to pay for it, and it's like thirteen grand a year to allow smoking. And so, you know, the 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 anti-smoking advocates—that sounds weird—the anti-smoking crowd <laughs> were up in arms. They're like, so you want to protect the employees, but thirteen thousand dollars is the price of their health. Yeah, <laughs> so, money talks with the government, I man. Oh yeah. Not that it doesn't with everybody else, but especially <laughs> in government. Money talks with fill in blank here. Mm-hmm. People. <clears throat> well, uh, Will or Cigar Coop has uh, some additional discussions. Well, actually, pardon me. Mike Stewart has an additional item on uh, John Drew. He brings up a probably a, a very accurate analogy. Um, he states that uh, JD's a lot like Jacques Cousteau. After oh my 
chat room just moved. After a few years, Jacques was very much away from the actual research and much more on the fundraising aspect of his research, often just flying aboard the Calypso to shoot a few scenes with the crew. And I I, I can't verify that. Obviously, I'm, I'm taking Mike's uh, uh, words at face value here, but it seems to be a logical assumption or a logical analogy, no doubt. Um, and Cigar Coop chimes in and says, 18 months ago, when both Sokka and Malia were there, uh, John was probably much more hands-off, really kind of taking that figurehead role that uh, he still appears to hold. Um, and as they've gone through the transitions, uh, it's highly likely that he's spending much more time in the factory, um, really being hands-on now. And to be completely honest, I... I don't think I've seen John have as much of a public place uh, in 2014 as he did perhaps in 2012 and even the beginning of 2013. Uh, it It's probably a, a very valid observation. Yep. <laughs> that. Those two excellent conversation or talk, talking points and I get a yep. I'm sorry, I was stopping a response into the chat room. <laughs> well, but nonetheless... Now I sound like I just scolded you. I'm nonetheless, sorry. yep. <laughs> You're a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with what both of you said. That That's absolutely true, and it's a point I had not even considered. Hmm. That that he had you know had so much of a change, and... and he had some health troubles uh, a little over a year ago as well. He really just made like a 30-minute or an hour appearance at IPCPR last year. He had a back problem and some other health stuff going on. That's right. I remember that. That's right. Well remembered. Did Now, did Sokka leave just prior or just after last year's show? I don't remember when Sokka left. Uh, right around it. I don't recall the exact date. I couldn't remember because I think he had his agreement was to take two years off, if I recall. That was the paperwork. Yeah, something like that, where he was just going to go catching smallmouth, is what he said. <laughs> yeah, he's going to kill large numbers of smallmouth or something. Yeah, tear up the population of small. I don't know what he said, but he's going fishing. <laughs> uh, I. Uh... I just became friends with him on Facebook this past week, and sure enough, like the first things that I see from Sokka are photos of him fishing for smallmouth. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of funny. But I think he left no doubt that when his time was up, he's back in the cigar industry. Yeah, someone postulated that uh, they thought he and uh, Nick would would team up when they came back around. Ooh. Which is is logical. I think that uh, it's widely believed that Saka was probably the reason that Drew Estate moved more into the premium cigar market, and uh, Malio uh, was certainly the uh, I won't say certainly the brains, but I know that he was certainly respected and understood to be um, the true tobacco man in terms of almost from a farmer's perspective, shall we say that? And Saka, without question, was uh, the cigar and tobacco expert of the company as well. So I think that uh, that would be a logical pairing to consider those two highly passionate, highly educated, highly successful 
tobacco mines to perhaps have somewhat of a collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be kind of cool, I reckon. That would be kind of cool. See what they can come up with. Yeah, I mean, I know Nick is. I mean, he's freelancing right now, working with whatever companies, basically as a consultant. So, I imagine he could still, if the two of them partnered up, he could still kind of do both of those. Have one. Well, why not? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if if he and Saka paired up and did something serious and started like you know an honest to goodness cigar company, may not be able to do the consulting for other companies because who wants their competition coming in their place and telling them how to run it? <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you know as well as I do that this is the smallest industry in the world, and more often than not, I'd say that that happens in an indirect way. You know, I mean. <clears throat> Uh, those guys are probably all intimately involved. Nah, I shouldn't say that. Those guys are probably aware of what all of each other are doing anyways. I mean, it's it's not an incestual business, but um, I certainly think that there's a lot going on. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that the first people to learn about what the others are doing are their competition, their competitors. And it's probably because it's kind of a it's kind of like a term that Cigar Coop has coined. It's essentially coopetition. Mm-hmm. I don't really know of very many of them who have a, a deep hatred for each other, except Pete Johnson and Andre Farkas, perhaps. But um, <laughs> you know, a lot of these other guys uh, have essentially grown up in the business. This whole new school Estelian. Um, emergence in the last 10 years. A lot of those guys are in their mid-40s and they're all buddies and they've kind of made it on their own in a similar fashion. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see. What do we got in here? Oh, this is one that probably neither of us know much of anything about. But Of course, we're going to talk about it. Uh, the Antian Antillian uh, Cigar Corporation, which is the parent company of one of only two of these other companies that I'm even somewhat familiar with. Um, uh, Antillian Cigar Company is the parent company of Sosa Cigars. Uh, and those of you in Florida certainly are probably familiar with the Sosa Cigars. Um, you know, they got a couple of lines in, here and there, and popular in Orlando, and they had a theme park. Shop, I think it's the same family. If it's not, they're close. It um, is. They, uh, which had its own saga going on this past year in a fight it's to the closed? death with no. Disney. Right? Yeah, yeah. Disney refused them. They refused to renew the lease. Um, but anyway, they have gained the U.S. distribution rights for Sosa, of course, because they had already Arandosa. Headlines, Dona Nieves. I've not heard of either, either of those two. The cigar court says he's not sure how the cigar court's going to go, but uh, I, I know Sosa cigars. I enjoy. Had Sosa punched out of it. You actually see the cigar through the letters in the band. It was like a three inch. 
band on the thing. Sleeve, I guess, is a better word than a band. Um, but anyway, Arendoza I'm familiar with. They're another Florida-based company. Have their cigars made at uh, La Zona, which is Eric Espinosa's factory in Nicaragua. And uh, the headlines in Dona Nieves, I'm not familiar with at all. Um, the cigar cork... Uh, I actually looked that up after I got this press release because I was not familiar at all with it, but it's pretty much a, a tube, I think some kind of acrylic tube that has uh, a cork in it and some kind of micro-humidification something in there. It's basically a one-stick humidor. and I, you know, I, I don't Maybe they'll sell, maybe one. I don't know what's going on there, but... Uh, I know I've never seen one before. It was something new to me, and I've never seen that kind of accessory thrive, but maybe they'll change the, the industry. I don't know. I, uh, I can't quite be very optimistic about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, there seems to be a bit of this going around. I, uh, I don't think it's a secret to anyone who's kind of stayed aware of this brand, but uh, Monty Pascal, Pasquale has also um, had some issues with distribution in the United States, uh, so much so that those issues fully encompass the fact that they do not have distribution any longer. Um, I know that that is being sought out, and there are some uh, slightly, well, I know that there are possibilities and things in the works, but nothing is imminent yet. And uh, it it seems as if this is something that I've heard more of this year than I can ever remember in the past. I, uh, Monte Pasquale, uh, obviously Sosa being the largest uh, brand of that conglomerate you just mentioned. And then one other from earlier in the year I thought was having major distribution problems, and I don't recall it at a moment's notice, but it's... Uh, I wonder if this is something that <clears throat> is just a coincidence or what. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I no, I don't I don't have any idea. I know there's been, you know, in the past 2 years so much realignment with distribution and who does this and that and the the exponential growth which I guess has somewhat slowed down of uh, the House of Emilio brands and what they were doing. Um so I don't know if Sosa is aiming to do something similar because these are smaller brands that they've taken on. If they're going to, you know, build a an empire of small lines, I, I don't know. It's, that's yet to be seen. Well, apologies for that minor technical delay, folks. We uh, are back in here and going to hit uh, another news story that we have, and it just happens to be about Cigar Federation. Um, they are announcing, they have announced, their second raffle for Project Minana. And uh, you might remember last year's was actually monumentally successful. I uh, was blown away to realize that they had raised over $5,800 um, for Project Minana. And uh, this year, their second will uh, begin September 2nd, which I believe is Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern. So that uh, it's ten dollars an entry, and for every hundred dollars you get a bonus entry. Multiple days, we'll have special side raffles, and uh, I believe you uh, received some winnings last year. You were lucky enough to do that. Does that sound right? 
It does. I actually won three boxes of cigars last year. Dang, that's uh, that's a pretty good gig for you. Yeah, and generally, the way it works is the uh, uh, you you can only win one cigar. But if you you there are certain days, like I said, like it's in the notes that uh, they will have special side raffles. But if you give some more today, then you get in on this other side raffle. If you do this, you get that, or do this anyway. And so last year, yeah, it was a huge success, uh, fifty-eight hundred bucks, um, and that actually, I, I, for those of you that listen to the show regularly, you know, Project Mignana is kind of a big deal to me. Um, so much so, I'm selling all my crap and moving down there to work with them. But uh, last year, the first uh, thousand bucks of the raffle went to—I don't think it was quite a thousand, but the first segment of the raffle. Uh, there was a, a family down there, and they have a son named Arison who has been wheelchair-bound since birth. But the problem is the family certainly couldn't afford a wheelchair, so they had carried him around in a plastic lawn chair that he was tied to every day, all day for his entire life. And uh, so they uh, took the the funds of the first portion of the, the raffle last year and got him hooked up with a wheelchair, which has just made a huge difference in the family, uh, just day-to-day living, not having to carry a 12-year-old kid now in a plastic lawn chair everywhere they go and do and, and, and all that. Um, and actually, I have another connection to this family. There, there's another couple, that, is, and I've talked about this before, that is moving to the Dominican. Actually, they're going to beat us down there. They're going in uh, the, within the next couple of weeks. And I know this couple closely, and Nick is the the husband of the couple, and he's in the chat room sometimes. I don't think he is tonight. But um, they sponsor one of the children in that family and actually took on some extra commitment to help take care of some needs for Harrison as well. But I've I've actually met this family and seen this wheelchair. That was a direct result of the the raffle. And then secondly, the, the balance of the funds that were raised went to buy the small little piece of property that the school is on and <clears throat> the new Project Mignana school in Via Gonzalez, which is the only one, uh, opens up September 2nd, same day the raffle starts. They uh, start school at the, sco- at, at the school for 65 kids in a community that has no school other than that, which is a pretty cool thing. And it, and it came right from this raffle. So, I'm a big supporter of it. I think it's a, a awesome idea and an awesome cause, and I, I love it. Hmm. It's uh, it's one of those organizations, one of those causes that you can look up and you know that every dollar goes to where it should be going, mm-hmm. where it's where it's needed, and you clearly believe in it. You're devoting your life to it, and um, I I couldn't commend you more for that. Yeah, I do, and they are 100% transparent. They um, are reviewed and audited by uh, a watchdog organization called GuideStar, and they have the the top rating, the gold rating for transparency and impact. And uh, you know, all of everything's open and transparent. There, you can see what they're doing, how they use their money, and and, and everything. So it's all. It's all available. I personally will certainly vouch for Project Manana and uh, for anybody that wants to get in on this raffle. 
Are you with me? I am absolutely with you. I am also just with the chat room. Apologies. Gotcha. Not a problem. I just thought I'd lost my internet again. I was about to flip this table over. I would really love to see Kip go <laughs> all incredible Hulk on that something, though. That would just be a blast. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think I've ever seen you forcefully put a cigar out, let alone flip a table over. Well, I don't abuse cigars. I never do that. <laughs> no, I'm not right, Rocky Patel. Well, I don't like Rocky Patel, so I don't have any of those to put out. <laughs> you know, you I, know what? I, I, I go take ahead. it back. I take it back. The Rocky Patel, I believe it's the Habano Edge that has the blue footband. That's not a bad cigar. The others, the cigar from um, oh, the Washington D.C. shop. Georgetown Tobacco, and I can't remember the name of the line. Caucus. Caucus, made by Rocky Patel. I think that's a fantastic cigar. So there are two Rocky Patel products that I do enjoy quite a bit, so I really should not talk as much trash as I do. I I think that we have the, the outline for a future show, and that would be a future segment of shows. That would be to force ourselves to smoke those cigars that we willingly have shied away from in the past. So, you know, Rocky comes out with a lot of new cigars. It's very well known that that's something that he does and does well. We should focus on those. We should see if there is something there that, uh, that might be worthy. You know, there's so much lost in the chatter of, uh, uh, of the, what is the Rocky Patel parent company called? Does he have a, a different company besides just Rocky Patel Cigars? I I guess I don't even know that. I don't even know either. I just know Rocky Patel Cigars. Huh. I assume there's some parent company because of niches cigars that are out there, unless those are also just Rocky Patel. But hmm. Either way, I, I, I have uh, eaten crow in the past where I've um, bad-mouthed general and all to this product, only to be proven wrong on blind reviews. And Obviously, we, we don't feel that Rocky only puts out bad cigars because you just commented on multiple that you enjoyed. And I love the Caucus as well. I still have a couple left of those. And um, uh, I loved the 15th anniversary. I thought that was a fantastic cigar when it came out. Um, I, at one point, really loved the Old World Reserve when that Old World Reserve Corojo, I think it was Old World Reserve Corojo, uh, that was one of my favorite sticks that summer. Um, there definitely were, it has been a lot of good cigars from him, but I do not ever, I can't remember the last time I ever purchased one. And maybe we owe it to ourselves to reach out a little. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Hmm. I know, I'd have to seek out something new to get that, but... Maybe I could. Man, these guys keep you on your toes. Ah, well, shall we move on to the final here? Yeah, we've got one more story, and uh, the uh, the proverbial beans were spilled on this uh, a couple of days ago by uh, Steve Parker, the owner of Lone Star Tobacco down in Texas. And then I got a press release today. I haven't posted it. It'll go up tomorrow evening sometime, I suppose. Um, 
that Lone Star Tobacco is partnering up with Ezra Zion for a shop-exclusive cigar once again, which seems to be a pretty strong trend for this kind of uh, exclusivity uh, between manufacturers and shops and even regions or whatnot. But it seems to be, uh, seems to me just anecdotally that we have a massive influx of shop-specific cigars compared to 10 years ago, five years ago. Oh, absolutely. Um, seems every week we've got something new that, that falls somewhere around this category. But uh, Anywho, the, the SP3, Steve Parker, I believe, is the name of the owner, and SP3 would be Steve Parker the third, uh, his son, and so the cigar is named after him. Um, coming in three sizes, 7 by 48 6 by 46 which intrigues me quite a bit, and 5 by 50 which I wouldn't turn my nose up to either. It'll be a Nicaraguan Puro with tobacco from several areas, and that's really about as much information as they gave me in the press release outside of the price. It's going to retail retail for six fifty to seven fifty a stick. I um I have previously done some research on <clears throat> um this idea of shop specific, and then on a slightly broader issue or slightly broader topic, regional or region-specific, um, and I think it all does go back to, let's say, in modern cigar times, I think it does go back to Cuba in 2004 doing two different regional releases. Um, both, coincidentally, were for Germany. Um, one was for um, oh, Fifth Avenue Tobacco, I believe, which is a German, the German distributor, I believe, of uh, Habanos, and another was for um, the La Casa del Habano in um, Cologne, Germany. One was the the reemergence of the Boulevard Gold Medal, and the other was the Vega Robena um, Jubileum, the fifth anniversary, and fifth, fifteenth, maybe it's the fifteenth, um, and those two cigars really started a trend, so much so that in 2005, um, Cuba, seeing the success of those two cigars, the sales of those two cigars, put out their first Edition Regional, um, and then that has subsequently been an annual thing where two or three countries or two or three distributors would uh, obtain license to a specific Vitola of a specific brand, um, the first of which, the first official regional release um, that was branded as such was uh, the Hermoniones Eminencia, which was one of the first cigars that we smoked on this show from 2005. From there, in the non-Cuban market, Pete Johnson did his um, East and West Coast regional releases in 2007, I believe. I got, a then, story. got a story about the West Coast. Oh, I'm all ears in a little bit. From there, it's it's gone much more into the the micro level of those regional down to as we say the shop specifics. So, see, yep. <laughs> uh, the uh, somebody in a trade randomly just sent me a West Coast, the the Tatuaje West Coast from what was it a Kahonu line? I don't even remember now. Been a few years back, I guess, but um, I had no idea what it was. Never heard of it. I just fired it up, smoked it, didn't pay attention, just lit it off, and then 
later found out that was something I can't just go out and buy. No. <laughs> I was a little irritated because it was a pretty good cigar. I think I have a couple of each left. If you're really nice, we might do it as a show cigar. Ooh. Sounds good to me. Maybe not, know, though. I don't know if, if I, can I can't send nice. you, If I can't send you tobacco in the Dominican, I don't know what I'll do. I don't either, man. George Washington, do you ever see the quote from him? Back to the uh, Continental Congress. It said, if you can't send money, at least send tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I uh, I thought it was going to be something like, uh, if you can't share cigars with your co-host, maybe the show doesn't exist anymore. No, I think that was Abraham Lincoln. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, he wouldn't have said podcast in the turn of the 18th century. That's true. Yeah, he didn't have a good record with shows anyway, did he? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, now we're back to the topic at hand. While well, I sit here and let my cigar go out, um, my cigar is not going out, but it's darn near like it has. I, I'm not even an inch into it. Wow, I'm I'm good two inches into this thing. I bet. No, I I haven't I haven't gone out. I'm. Let me look at this. How I'm much do in, I have? Inch and a quarter in, into the cigar. I have four and three quarters inches left. Of this cigar, based on measurement, actually four and seven eighths inches left of this cigar. So, wow, it's only five and a half inches to start with. So I have smoked just over half an inch, maybe five eighths of an inch. Yep, I'm an inch further along than you. Actually, I was I was off in my thinking. Anyway, back to the exclusive releases. I, I think. And this is totally spitballing, I don't know, but it seemed like in the early portion of this, what I'm now calling the trend, I don't know if that's a trend, but this occurrence, that uh, in order to help out their brick-and-mortar customers who were upset that the online folks were undercutting them, there began to pop up a few lines that were brick-and-mortar only. They were not to be sold online. I'm thinking of things like the Casa Fernandez, JFR, those kind of lines. And it seems now that it's just drifted to be uh, the shop exclusive, where it's just one shop, and so you really, you know, pump up that shop at least for a day. Especially things like these, some of these Tatawahe releases. They've done a few shop exclusives that are now legendary. Wasn't the wasn't the pork tenderloin a shop exclusive? One of those pork lines. I don't remember which. I'm one. sure. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it was. Excuse me. I happen to have one of those left. I've never had one. <clears throat> I have one of those and one of the last year's SNS cigars that was a reproduction of that. Hmm. It wasn't pork tenderloin. What? It was called something else. Was it? Was it a pork chop? There, there were several pork-themed <laughs> cigars. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh well. Oh, you're looking it up. Absolutely, I can do. Anyway, t- tell us tell us a little bit about that cigar you're not too far into. Um, well, I certainly will. It was very very woody for the first uh, half an hour or so I was smoking. Um, a little bit too woody, very much like that kind of. Uh, Halapin woodiness I tend to not enjoy. Um, and that has 
definitely taking a back seat to some additional flavors. Um, I, huh, I said I hadn't gone out, but now I'm starting to lose a, a bit of my light. I'm getting much more of that kind of slight citrusy sweetness that you had discussed, and it's not nearly as um, as deep and dark of a sweetness as I had expected, but um, it's it's different. This is definitely a variation on the blend than uh, the smaller uh, Petit Corona, Tre Petit Corona, Petit Robusto, whatever the heck that size truly is that we discussed earlier. I, I'm almost dumbfounded by how much different dif- how much different aspects of this cigar are than that. Really? I don't know if yeah, I, I don't know if uh, I'm alone in that thought, but I smoked one of these earlier in the week just randomly at work when I was driving around. I've got a long drive now. Um and didn't quite notice it to be as dark and rich, but it was kind of in the background. It wasn't really my main focus. And then this one, as I am really paying attention to it, I do not think it is It is as deep as uh, the others that I've smoked, the smaller Vitolas. Uh, I agree. I totally agree. And that's a big part of why I enjoy those smaller Vitolas so much. Hmm. Um, mine is is definitely taking a turn into that lighter, airy kind, of, and, and I still hesitate to say citrus. That's not what I mean. It's maybe like a almost like a really sweet, leathery kind of flavor, and and it's not the dark, raisiny kind of sweetness. And, and I, I would call it bright, for lack of a better word, because it's just kind of it, it pops. It's airy. It's not. And it's not super dense smoke. It's not palate coating the way they tend to be when they have the when the cocoa really comes through. And I don't know why there's that variation. I enjoy both, but anywho, that's where I'm at with this one. You know, your comments just kind of uh, strike me to talk about something that I don't know if I've ever really realized before. There's, I would say that that palate coating, um is something that this cigar gives me. I don't feel as if it has a short finish, and I certainly don't feel as if it's um, as if it's light, but I also don't feel as if it's full-bodied. It very much it very much coats my palate, but it doesn't envelop it like I would say a full-bodied cigar would. <coughs> the smoke is almost sticky where I, I'm, I'm getting a residue, but I'm not I don't feel that that density of smoke. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. I'm and that's intriguing to me. I've never really had that kind of realization before. It looks like the uh, pork chop and pork tenderloin were sold through Gloucester Street Cigars in Boston. Pork chop. Maybe that's what I was thinking. I think Although maybe both. the pork tenderloin was first and the pork chop was a larger version of it. I think that is correct. The tenderloin was a petite Corona, and the pork chop was a uh, Corona Gorda. Uh, neither one. I'm the, the, pretty sure the tenderloin is very different than a petite Corona. I think it's considerably more girthy than that. Yeah, it's five and an eighth by 52. Hmm. Well, then I'm thinking of a different cigar. Yeah. I'm allowed. Sure. Sure show. 
It's your world, man. We're just living in it. <laughs> man, we're getting crap about the pork and already in the chat room. I'm not paying attention, though. Oh, I dropped a bacon explosion comment, and I think I pissed Don Arino off. Oh, man, those are awesome, Don. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry, I got distracted thinking about a bacon explosion. We're being called pork bullies. What the heck is I wonder if we could be smoked and eaten. Mmm. Pork. Okay. Back to the show. What are we doing here? Other interests. What else have you enjoyed recently or not enjoyed? What you been smoking this week? I, I've had a pretty good week. I think I've had five cigars this week, maybe four cigars, something like that. Wow, you're ahead of me this week because it's been a pretty slack week for cigars to me. Oh, man, I uh, I have – well, I had a fantastic cigar, and it is a new cigar, uh, and it's my first on the list here. You've discussed it, and I have to wholeheartedly agree with your uh, with your love of this. It is the Crown Head Jericho Hill. This um. – this cigar is it, it has shot to the top of my uh, uh, most enjoyed new releases that I've had this year without question I love this excuse me it is filled with some of the darker sweeter flavors that we're discussing um, just a, a spectacular kind of sweet peanut brittly flavor to it as well, besides some of the deeper cocoa and coffee flavors. Um, really a terrific tobacco core. Uh, a, a nice spicy, almost exotic spicy, but not so much in a sweet exotic spice sort of way. If you were to maybe think like um, cardamom and clove, which can absolutely be um, savory as well as they can be sweet. It just has that kind of Middle of the road could go either way between hard and soft. I, 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 I loved this cigar, but it absolutely led me to think that it had a lot of similarity to another product made by my father, uh, and that happens to be another cigar that I smoked this week, which I'll jump right into, and that is the La Roma de Cuba Mi Amor Reserva. I think that these cigars have a lot in common. A lot in common. Um, I, let me emphasize that. A lot in common. <laughs> it's so much so that uh, I finished the Crown Heads and went to a cigar store and immediately bought a Miamor Reserva to smoke that same evening. And uh, while I do think that they are not the same cigar, I think that they have enough in common for... Uh, for someone to perhaps view them as quite the coincidence. So I, I think that the Miamor Reserva is still a great cigar. It has more of that that um, <clears throat> palate cleansing, um, citrusy bite, eh, acidic bite to it. Um, it's crisper, it's cleaner. It's not as as dark and sweet and heavy as the Crown Heads or as the Jericho Hill, um, but it is still a very good cigar with some of those richer flavors. It just happens to be more balanced by some of the lighter tendencies as well. It, it's it's a great cigar, not as ballsy or not as much of a statement as the Jericho Hill, 
but perhaps a little bit more of a cigar that can suit uh, uh, the typical La Roma de Cuba uh, smoker, something that is flavorful, medium-bodied, um, just slightly darker, slightly richer than what uh, the typical La Roma's uh, bring to the table. I enjoyed both these, but the Jericho Hill I now enjoy more than the Miyamar Reserva. Uh, I could not agree more. I loved your description with the... Uh the the cardamom and and some of those spices that that have a savory component as well and and it's exactly what I was thinking of but couldn't put into words is when I was smoking that cigar I kept thinking of Turkish coffee which often has cloves or cardamom in it and it there you go content. and I love the crap out of this cigar I, I'm I'm I, I no longer have a big budget for cigars but I would buy those and never think twice about it. Uh, I've only had two of them now, and just loved every minute of both of them. They, they it's not that there's these intricate little flavor changes that people want to describe and look for in cigars, but it was unrelenting with goodness. It, it was every minute of the cigars that I've had from that line so far, I've just loved. Hmm. I, I. I think by far it is now my favorite Crown Heads product. And I've only smoked two of them, but they were both fantastic. Oh, yep. fantastic. Uh, I'm right there with you. You know, I've been a Four Kicks guy from day one with Crown Heads. I, I really liked the Los Calaveras. I really liked, you know, some of their other stuff. But Four Kicks has been my line, but I, I agree. I think I like Jericho Hill more so than now. Hmm. I, uh, boy, I don't think I've had a Las Calaveras. In fact, I know I haven't. That came out shortly before IPCPR, correct? Yeah, yeah, late May, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. I know I have not had that one, but um, uh, the four kicks I adore. I really, really think that one's good. Last and, time I was at my shop, they had a few left. If they still do next time, I'll grab you one because I don't have any more, and they were a limited run, so they're, if, if they're gone, they're gone. The Las Calaveras? Yeah. I didn't know they were limited. I would have grabbed some. Well, let me double check, but I thought they were. Oh, man. Talk on it. Edición Limitada 2014. I I didn't even pay attention to that. Wow, that's a that's an epic fail. I had seen those at a shop. Uh, yeah, I had seen those at a shop, and I didn't pick any up. It will Although be that's an, just me, so. It will be an annual release, though. Yeah, but you know as well as I do with with biologicals, you know, one vintage is nowhere near the next one when it comes to consistency. Yeah, they made seventy two thousand cigars. Oh, wow. They should still be around. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you got a couple on here that I'm very interested in. <laughs> Let's see what we got. Yeah, I smoked a certain 15-year-old Monty number 2 <laughs> that you're probably familiar with. I am. <laughs> those of you who listened to the show last week know exactly where that cigar came from. And I actually, I, I had two of them, and I shared one with a buddy, and uh, it was everything you'd want it to be, man. It was a, it was a fantastic smoke. You seem not to be so enamored with them, but, and I'm not going to say that it just changed my life and I got to get more, 
I do think it was a little bit flat, at least in comparison to the other monies I've had. Um, but still, it, it was delicious, man. It was uh, had some of that bright, sweet and savory, the same dang thing we come back to over and over with these southern cigars that we have on here on occasion and just in spades throughout the entire length. And I rarely smoke a cigar all the way down to the itty bitty nub, but I did that one. Just loved every minute of it. I'm very happy to hear that. Very happy to hear that. Yeah, I I have to say I I don't um uh, I perhaps hold that cigar to a higher standard than uh, I would a normal cigar because I know the Monte Cristo blend can be um the Monte Cristo blend can be mocha. I mean, it can just be smoking, tasting smoke that is just the essence of cocoa and coffee put together. And not not a cocoa and coffee flavor like you'll get from the Crown Heads. A, a, a different, a, a imagine uh, a, a Cafe Con Leche or a Cuban coffee that you put just absolutely <laughs> fresh squeeze, <laughs> uh, heavy cream in there and there's nothing that is low fat or diet. It is opulence in the flavor of what that blend can be. Heavy cream, tons of sugar, deep, dark, rich, dark roasted coffee flavors all combined into one, not separate. One flavor. You get those three things put together. And then there's so much other, so much else to it. There's that, that spectacular, um, brightness that you talk about that that sweet savory discussion um, that is in the background along with a, a a really kind of a unique focus where you don't you don't get a typical cigar's flavor where you're tasting that tobacco core and it's complex and it has other flavors a good monte cristo it doesn't have that tobacco core it has this other flavor as if that is something completely different and it's so rare in cigars. Some of the only other cigars that I can think of that are like that are are um, other cigars from Cuba, where where you're getting this blend that is just so unique. I mean, you've never had anything like it. Like, uh, oh, um, Trinidad. We've talked about the, the Trinidad and Genios on this show before, and that one's a little bit of a different story since it's an Edition Limitada. But the typical Trinidad blend is syrupy, sweet, sugary flavors with vanilla and <clears throat> um, uh, cocoa bean and some floral elements, and it doesn't taste tobacco-y. It tastes like like you're eating some sort of a pastry. You know, and it's it's just amazing, and that's what I love about the Monte Cristo that it can transform me. Those Monte Twos never transformed me. They were much more of the typical sweet, savory tobacco core with other flavors going on. That essence, that hallmark of the Monte blend, didn't grab the spotlight as much as I wanted. So that might be yep. where you were saying there was a slight <clears throat> flatness to it. That's exactly that, it. In that flatness, that mocha flavor should have shown. Yep, yep. You you hit the nail on the head. 
Well, you talked about a couple of cigars you had, but I see there's one on here that I have a uh, specific comment about, but I'm going to hold it until you're done talking about it. Um, the one that you're next to? My next cigar that's on there? Mm-hmm. I decided that uh, I had some time... Well, I was I was at uh, my in-laws for dinner this evening. I'd gotten out of work early, went over there to uh, do a little bit of celebration, and um, uh, decided I was going to start my show prep and uh, uh, end my evening with the family a little early. And I wanted a, a nicer cigar, a cigar I hadn't really had before, and a cigar that has been in my humidor for, I don't know, a while. I don't know when you sent this to me, but I'm... 99% certain you did. And it was uh, something that I wasn't really mm, overly enthusiastic about. Um, I think it's been my newfound, uh, eh, my reemergence of love for Arturo, Arturo Fuente cigars that caused me to reach for this. And I wanted to give it a try. So this happens to be the Fuente King T, which comes in a, a, a gorgeous aluminum tin, as you can see here, the one-third, two-third split on the aluminum. Beautiful painting at the bottom of that, or or artwork at the bottom of that, the typical Fuente artwork. Um, a, a nice cigar, a pretty big cigar, just slightly uh, shorter than a Churchill. Uh, I did not give it a measurement, but uh, I'd guess it was probably about six and a half inches. Um, and it... it Blew me away. I I have not had good luck with the king bees before the queen bee, um, queen bee. Yeah, it's king mm -hmm. bee and queen bee, correct? Yeah. Uh, I have not had good luck with those. Those have not been cigars that I've really enjoyed. Um, so I was expecting something almost along those same lines with the king tea, and was shocked when it it just shot one over my bow and caused me to to have to sit back while I was driving and say, ooh, maybe I need to take this seriously. It uh, was a very complex cigar that reminded me a lot of, um, let me see if I can get this right, um, a Don Carlos mixed with a little bit of the spice, the sweet spice from that um, prototype Fuente we had earlier in the year with just a... a, a perfect Dominican baking spice flavor that was kind of second fiddle. Um, at one point, there was a very, very strong cocoa aroma, too, that only lasted five or six puffs. Um, but it was a cigar I was surprised by. And as, you know, if you're listening to this show for a while, you know that if something surprises me, I absolutely give that cigar props, and I have to do that with this King Tea. I loved it. Loved it. Holy cow. <laughs> I sent you that cigar like day one when they first came out. They arrived at the other branch of the Fuente family it has a shop in Tampa called Tampa Sweethearts. And I happened to be there. They landed that day and grabbed a couple, sent them to you. I smoked two of them, was absolutely not impressed, and have never revisited them because I didn't care for them at all. It sounds like maybe I should retry them or something. Oh my gosh, I I was blown away by how everything with this cigar was enjoyable. You know, I, if 
you know, you, I'm sure most of our listeners know Fuente. This is the cigar. I, I was smoking it for probably an hour and 20 minutes, and I still have about four inches left. So it was a slow burner. Um, it has the green band, the green Fuente band on it, which I got to admit, I kind of always associate with being a lesser quality version than uh, some of the other Fuentes. Maybe it's, maybe that's a bad thing to do, but you know, it's not the black, it's not the the uh, um, white, it's not uh, the red. I think there's a red as well. So the green, I just kind of always think of as the, you know, I'll skip those. Well, that was an oversight. Yeah, the, the the green is their what I'll call the standard line. I think they may call them the Chateau, um, even though there is a Vitola called Chateau as well. But uh, and then traditionally the black bands came on Don Carlos and Hemingways, and then of course the white bands on Añejo and Opus bands on Opus. But there are variations aplenty with the Opus band these days between the Destino Elsie Glows and the Angel Share variations and whatnot. And the Lost City, Forbidden Exit, all kinds of variations on the Opus band. But the others changed, I want to say, about spring of 2010 and have mostly been phased in since then. But you know, if you have one, you had, the one you just held up was the newer band. It's a little bigger, has the extra gold stripe around the bottom. If you have that band, you know it was after, or it shipped after. Uh, March or so of 2010. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except the Añejos. The Añejos this past Christmas, I think, was the first time they started showing up with the change band. Uh, they were still shipping with the older band up until up through 2012. But, anywho, I got one more on my list here. And I alluded to the SNS Club a little while ago, but. Uh, I did not re-up this year. I needed to conserve funds, but uh, I still had a prototype Tatuaje from last year's set, and it was just marked Proto and the number nine handwritten on it. And uh, this is actually a, a possible or potential blend they were going to, you know, think about marketing in the European market, and it has a. Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and Nicaraguan plus filler. You can kind of fill in your own blanks on what the plus is. Um, just some various countries included in that filler. Um, man, I got to tell you, it was, it was such a good cigar. It was like Tatuaje with uh, sometimes the My Father Spice can be just a little... Uh, maybe not overwhelming, but a little bit much for me. And this had all those edges knocked off. It was just so creamy and toasty, and even caramely at times. It just a delicious cigar. Mm, four and seven eighths by fifty ish on both of those. Those were my estimations on the, my little pretend gauge I got here. But man, if you come across those from a member who's wanting to trade some. Snatch them up. There, that was a particularly good cigar from the the batch. Well, I uh, I can't imagine there's going to be very many of those. <laughs> no, I don't think so. The SNS Club's pretty tight knit. Those guys don't like to let go of that kind of cigar. So I did uh, some quick searching on the King T uh, 
specifically this Rosado King tea, which I believe this is. I don't think this is a Sun Grown. Um, <clears throat> do you happen to know for sure? It just does not look like a Sun Grown to me. Thought it said it on that tube. Oh, let's look. King T, Chateau Fuente, only Fuentes, Fuente, Grand Reserva, imported, does not. I, I do remember somebody calling it the King T Sun Grown, but, or actually, no, scratch that, Rosado, that's what it was called. King T Rosado. Hmm. I, uh,. I I believe that it is a Rosado. It does not look to me as if it's um as if it's a sun grown and it has that extra little or had the extra little red ribbon at the foot, which I believe was pretty typical for some of their Rosado releases rather than the black for their sun grown. Yeah. I uh, did a quick Google search and it turned up King T Rosado with an Ecuadorian sun grown Rosado wrapper. Oh, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> the description to wrappers these days, man, it just throws many titles and names on there. Uh, you'll be happy to know the Half Wheel gave it a 79. Well, you know what's funny about that is if you look at Half Wheel was one of the sites that I, I just looked at, their comments are stating that it it's slightly harsh, that it's very drying, um, that it wasn't a cigar that yielded uh, very much. And I honestly, I just think that the specimen that I smoked is probably a year and a half older than what they reviewed and probably a year and a half older than what you reviewed. And I got to say, I think this cigar needed a year and a half. Sounds like it. Holy hell, if you got one, smoke it. Treat yourself. I, I, I don't. I never purchased another one because I didn't care for the first two I had. Hmm. Well, I am relighting my Hoya de Nicaragua right now. Okie dokie, mine's chugging along now. I've had touched it up a couple times. Let's see, I'm looking at about just under three inches of cigar lift. Wow. Trucking right along. Yeah, you definitely are trucking along. I am at... Four and an eighth left, so I've caught up to you just slightly, and that's even despite being uh, out. But I, uh, I, I'm still not getting some of those deeper flavors. Oh, you know what? Before we get out of the what else we've been enjoying recently or not enjoying, uh, you've got a, a new item in here in green. Name that cigar again. Yes. What, was that specifically supposed to be calling my attention to something? Yeah, we uh, had an email from a listener a couple weeks ago that uh, said we got off in talking about a cigar, and we didn't name what it was again, and he wondered if maybe we could close up our talk about it with telling what the cigar was again. That's a very good point. Now you've jogged my memory. So the first that I smoked was the Crown Heads Jericho Hill, which I adored, closely followed by the La Roma de Cuba Mi Amor Reserva, uh, I kind of rolled through that pretty quickly. La Roma de Cuba, Mia Moore Reserva was the second cigar. Um, also enjoyed it, but I have to say it was slightly more balanced, slightly crisper, despite having some of those darker flavors um, than the Crown Heads Jericho Hill. 
And finally, the last I discussed was that Fuente King T. T is in Tom. Tom, Tango, Talbert, however you want to remember it. King T. Very, very enjoyable cigar. And mine were a 15-year-old Monte Cristo number 2, supplied by my generous co-host, and a prototype Tatawahe, just marked number 9 from last year's SNS package. So well, neither of mine are especially easy to come by this week, which is not normally the case for me. Nonetheless, it is what it is. It's all right. It's uh, it's fun to kind of share our experiences with some of these one-off or rare slash uh, not easily replicable uh, cigars. I. I love it when I read reviews from other people about that. I can kind of live vicariously through them and hope that our listeners feel the same. You know what? I got one more I'll throw in there just for funsies because I had it this week. And you can see the band. I think I maybe even talked about these several weeks ago, the uh, Art Deco from Nestor Miranda. Yeah, yeah. I have, I don't remember what they call the size. It's roughly the same size as what we're smoking tonight, five and a half by 54-ish, somewhere around there. And it's a My Father Made Cigar, and the packaging is horrific. Um, not necessarily the band, but instead of a typical box, it comes in a metal lunchbox-sized box. <laughs> but if you like bold Nicaraguan cigars, that you can't go wrong with these. They're not that expensive. I don't know what they retail for, but they're they're not expensive cigars by any measure. And, in fact, I've come across them deeply slashed with the price because they don't move that well and for some reason or another in the Tampa market. Um, but it, it's not overly spicy. It just has really deep, rich, typical, new-style kind of Nicaraguan flavors. And it, it's a good, solid cigar. It's not going to be one that... You're going to want every day. It's not going to be a, even a special occasion, but it's solid enough that I wouldn't mind keeping them around. And, in fact, I have several in the humidor right now. That uh, size you're talking about is called the Robusto Grande, and uh, it is available without much searching for six fifty a stick if you buy a box. Really? I'm sitting here. Try something real quick. Talk for a second. Uh, no problem. I can talk for longer than a second. I know it's a stretch. This show. I know it's a stretch, and and I don't know, you know, if you can do that. But uh, yeah, I'm looking here. The my local shop. I know they. I know for a fact they have them on the shelf, but it's not on their website. But if you called Tampa Humidor, I'm fairly confident you could beat that price pretty handily. Hmm. Well, that's cool. I, I liked the Art Deco, I, and we talked when you did bring it up. Uh, I talked about um, another cigar that kind of came out of Miami Cigar at the same show as the Art Deco, um, and I appreciated that one much more than the Art Deco, and I just don't recall what the heck it was. I, it's got to be the um, uh, the 108, but I... Or 107, 108. It's got to be the 107, but that just doesn't sound right to me, uh, the La Aurora 107. But either way, I, I think that Art Deco might be worth revisiting. This is now the second time in probably a month that you've uh, 
discussed it so favorably. Yeah, I uh, had a box laying around for a long time, and I got it for next to nothing. I mean, like, kind of deal you don't get off the shelf normally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, I cracked it open a few weeks ago, and I've had several of them now and enjoyed them all. So, carrying on, what yeah. have you been enjoying in the world of cigars lately? We've already talked about what you had on there, but maybe we can explore that a little more. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that would be a fun one here. So, as I had alluded to with the uh, Crown Heads Jericho Hill discussion, I thought that that cigar was incredibly familiar to me, um, to the La Roma de Cuba. Uh, excuse me, I thought it was incredibly familiar to me. As I was smoking the Jericho Hill, I realized that that recollection was uh, the La Roma de Cuba Mia Moore Reserva. Um, and I, as I said, I, it was so strikingly similar. There were so many similarities that I went out and I bought a Mia Moore Reserva uh, and smoked it immediately after that Jericho Hill because I wanted to uh, I, I really wanted to test that theory, and I found out they're different. They definitely did not smoke the same, um, but they were they were. I'll say they're eighty percent the same flavor. You know that that Mia Moore just adds another component that that balances out or kind of brings it brings it back into uh, a more balanced or. I don't know. We've talked about it enough. Um, so it got got me to thinking. Well, wait a second. These are both produced by my father. Uh, both blended by the Garcias. And you know, with with how many cigars, with the number of cigars that uh, are coming out of my father, blended at my father, um, I I wonder if that process is simplified at all. And so it just got me thinking. You know, did somebody Come to the to to Pepin Garcia and say I love what you've done with the Mia Moore um, lines, both the Mia Moore and the Reserva. Could you could you just kind of wig it out a little bit and take out that slight bit of crispness and just give me that that bold beefy dark flavor that's there? And could we shoot for that as our goal? You know, I wonder. It, how many of you know? How many of you guys listening have blended a cigar? Uh, I wonder if anybody has perspective on that. Do you do you think that maybe a lot of that process starts with, uh, or it has a starting point, and that starting point perhaps is something else that we've all smoked? It sounds logical, but I don't know if it is kind of. Uh, I don't know. Is it is it too incestuous? Is it too much? That's you know, taking too much of something that's not your own. What do you think about that? I totally think it's doable and done with some regularity. I don't know that it's common to turn it up. I mean, I mean, we know who makes a lot of lines for dozens of companies at a time. And, and uh, oh, I'm sorry, I got distracted by you that time watching you, your cursor movement. Um no. I definitely think it's done. I think with the two cigars you're talking about tonight, I actually have a little bit of a a backstory that's pretty reliable but anecdotal nonetheless. That uh, uh, this 
comes third hand, so take it for what it's worth. The, the, I had a discussion with somebody who had been with Huber, and he said Huber and, and E.P. Carrillo, uh, Carrillo had blended and blended and blended and made several attempts, and, and John just really wasn't tuned in to what was coming out of, of the attempts, and so he went and he got Ernesto's blessing to, to go ahead and go to my father for this one and, and you know just kind of cut to the chase. And, and so he called up Jaime and told him what he wanted. He said, this is what I'm looking for. These are, these are you know the characteristics I want in this blend. Jaime come up with a set of cigars, sent them to him, and that was it. It was done. That was what he wanted. So did Jaime take something existing and tinker with it to make maybe make it a little more like he wanted? I don't I don't know. I mean I I can't provide any kind of proof that that goes on, but I in my mind there's no doubt in the world. I mean there's just so much variation you can you can do and stay within the same family. I mean you might change a leaf here and there, maybe a a different year of the same leaf, and who knows you can make minor little differences and make a drastic change or you can make some difference difference some changes to a blend and keep the same basic flavor set and, you know who knows not me <laughs> no but i i had never heard that uh, is that you say that that's not necessarily a uh, a quotable story but it, it's from a reliable uh Reliable source, yeah, and that doesn't say anything about what you know the foundation of that blend is. It doesn't mean it was built off something else. It's just a story I had that goes with this cigar. Oh no, it, it oh pardon me, it ties in directly with the the genesis of of the Jericho Hill. I mean that that is the tie-in, and then it also just kind of has. Uh, some overtones on this idea of, well, how was he able to come up with that so quickly? I don't know. And obviously it's all speculation, but, I mean, we've asked a number of blenders, a number of of, uh, brand owners and manufacturers in the past, how do you start, what do you do when you have a blend? Do you take inspiration by something you smoke, or do you have a goal in mind when you begin? And uh, uh, maybe this is just... When you have a goal in mind, you look for something that's similar and you build off of that. You know, essentially a, a revision um, or a rough draft, let's call it. You know. Yeah, and, and after you have, and this is total speculation. I don't know jack about blending a cigar, but I would imagine that uh, after you have some foundation of hands in leaves blending tobacco and come up with a number of cigars, however, what X number of different blends, then it may not be the only way, but you know your way to achieve a certain style of flavor. And so you have at least a core or a starting point, and then you can tinker with a leaf here and there to kind of fine-tune it into uh, something specifically or something a little different. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's got to be a set of core blends to go to go with for whatever you're looking for, whether it's dark and sweet or bright and spicy. So, man, I could 
I could live in a cigar factory and be a happy man on a pauper's wage, I think. <laughs> well, pick up and move to the Dominican Republic. You can live on a pauper's <laughs> wage. <laughs> That's true. I just had a, a discussion this evening about how living in a third world country, uh, one of Ellie's great friends is moving to, or has moved to <sighs> Nepal? Wow. No. Yeah, Nepal. Uh, it, uh, an absolutely isolated location in the Himalayas. And the discussion was is that for 80 American dollars a month, they could live in a what is in that region a, a very respectable home. Um, $80 a month? It's just, that's a fascinating amount to me. And I, I know that that was the amount. I just was told that this evening. Yeah, you you can't do that in the Dominican Republic. I mean, it, it is certainly cheaper than here, and <clears throat> without getting too intricate or or detailed, our average our average yearly income is going to drop about seventy percent. But we'll still be working walking a tightrope down there. It's, it it is cheaper, much cheaper in general, but it's not just. 80 bucks a month to live in the Dominican Republic. People live that way. Hundreds of thousands of people live that way. But it's not its not something you would want to do by choice. Hmm. I mean, the average income there is $2 a day. Wow. And, and people certainly survive on it, but they survive on it by having a bunch of kids who take a job when they're seven years old working in the field somewhere, sugar cane or tobacco. Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah. How you want to know how the other half lives? That's how the other half lives, and it's not as glorious as you think. And it's not just the half. Well, uh, yeah, ain't that true? Anywho, let's maybe jump back into lighter topics. Um, maybe just uh, hit just a minute on my little world of cigars thing here and. Hold these emails for next week. I know one of them's been on hold for a couple of weeks, but we're already after 11:30 Eastern. So, uh, I don't really have a whole lot to say about what I'd put in the notes, other than uh, the past week, especially. I've been jumping back into a pipe groove and finding it takes a little more practice and work than I had expected just to get back in the the swing of things. It, it's it's like riding a bicycle in that you remember how it's done, but you know the the actual going through the motions of, of smoking a pipe. Huh. I find myself having a lot of relights, which I had really killed in the past, and, and you know tinkering with my method of packing the tobacco in the bowl and and this and that and. It, it's not an instantaneous thing, and, and the biggest change is the cadence uh, because when you smoke a pipe, it doesn't provide the volume of smoke that a cigar does, so you're you know, subconsciously at least thinking it's going out on you all the time, and it's not. It's just pipe tobacco. It's just what it does, and you got to be really careful not to over-puff a pipe if you're a regular cigar smoker, and it's... I've known so many people that were cigar guys or pipe guys, but very, very few that successfully could do both interchangeably at any given time. And it takes 
a lot of practice of both concurrently to be able to do that. Hmm. You've got me completely scared to death of getting back into pipes. I, I they, just feel they like, they like I'm going to burn your face off or something. It's, just, just <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you screw up and that's it. You're dead. <laughs> uh, I'm going to burn my house down with it now. I guess you could do that. Well, so... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just still mumbling. Do you... Uh, were you implying that uh, this email from Fanatic we should wait uh, another week on? Yeah, we're already uh, pushing the two-hour mark because we actually started on time for us and earlier, and it's 11.35 my time. Um, no problem. Got a feeling that at least... The first one will take a lot of time, and the second one we probably should spend more time thinking about before we talk about it. Yeah, I, uh, I certainly agree with that. Uh, this comment on the second one, no doubt. Um, I do have to say, though, that as, uh, uh, as we have these two emails, which we're yet again putting off, that I, I think it just needs to be stated specifically, not just in our closing, how much we do really, really enjoy the email. And I know that uh, at times my responses to some of these may not be um, uh, in-depth enough, and obviously as we are here, we may not get to them quick enough or as quickly as we'd like, but it does not mean that they're not uh, appreciated or, um, quite frankly, enjoyed. I mean, I loved the heck out of these two emails that we got them. It got me, you know, on a lunch break at work thinking, you know what, man, there is a whole other side to my life that sometimes the day is so stressful that I forget all about. Thank you. And uh, I really, I mean that genuinely. It's uh, it's quite relaxing to just have these moments of, of uh, levity in a day, and it gets me thinking about other things that I really enjoy. So thank you. See. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, as you're as you're coming to a close with this uh, Oida Nicaragua uh, Dark Corojo, Antonio Dark Corojo, what do you what do you have as your final closing thoughts here? What do you think of this Vitola? Um, I'm I would call this in comparison to the Poderoso, um, less of the dark, deeper flavors we've talked about, and very monochromatic to me. I mean, this cigar right now is pretty much the same as. The first few puffs I took, and all throughout the middle, and there's not not a whole lot to it. Um, but at the same time, it's straightforward and not a bad flavor. And I I happen to enjoy them, but certainly, if I'm going to go to the store and buy some, I would pick the Poderoso every time. Without question, I uh, to put it more plainly, I would never smoke this cigar again if I had the Poderoso available to me. Yeah, exactly. Perhaps cast it in a little bit of a difficult light, but I I, I do not enjoy this cigar. Yeah, that's that's not true. I do not get out of this cigar what I want to get out of this cigar. Does that make yeah. sense? Yep, exactly. And, and I do get that from that smaller size. Yep. 
that Poderoso with a cup of coffee on a morning just hanging out when it's not blisteringly hot already is hard to beat. Catch up on the day's news, and it's a beautiful way to start the day. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Hmm. Well, as we uh, as we begin our closing here of yet another enjoyable episode, one that I can't believe we're two hours into already. Good gracious! I uh, want to say thanks to you, my man. This has been fun. What do we uh, What do we got coming up? Well, well, actually, let's let's talk about next week a little bit. Uh, I left you a rambling voicemail earlier in the week that I have some family business to attend to next Friday night. Yes, which I will very, be very long drive to see my parents in Colorado. Yep, you do, and so that happens to, to coincide. You also had a different issue that you said maybe. We do the the week after Memorial or Labor Day, and that'll be next week as well. Yeah, I I was completely off base with that one. Uh, obviously, as we've talked, uh, I think I mentioned last week that uh, coming up in October, I'm gonna miss a week for being on my annual fishing trip with my dad. So it looks like next week I either may miss or we may. Just reschedule, shoot for another night, but uh, we'll kind of keep that uh, uh, keep that uh, going here and let everybody know on Facebook, Twitter, all the normal ways of uh, getting half-ashed information. So we'll keep you posted there. But um, it's looking like if we do have uh, our show next week that we will have an unbanded, unless, of course, maybe we go with uh, a guest host. Then we... We may be, or you may be, uh, looking in a different direction, but I'll leave that up to you. Okay. I'll work it out between now and then. This is this upcoming Friday, right? That is correct. Yeah, the third, I believe, maybe okay. the fourth. I will uh, post it up through Twitter or Facebook or whatever works out between here and Tuesday, I suppose. Cool, cool. Well, uh, we actually are about to do some rescheduling on the fly. Because our scheduled cigar is an unbanded, and I will save that until both Greg and I are here. So, if you give me, uh, bear with me just one second, I will tell you. Actually, tomorrow, next week will be a wild card. If we have a show, it'll be a surprise what cigar of the week is. Um, But, uh, anywho, so we'll have a surprise show next week. Surprise cigar week, anyway. But in the meantime, if you want to get. in touch with us, you can get us either at Craig at thecigarmy.com or Kip at thecigarmy.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Just like Craig said, we really appreciate the emails. Uh, it's good to hear, good or bad, got a recommendation, whatever. We, uh, uh, we like to hear from you. And if you have an unbanded submission, you can get us at those two emails, and we'll hook you up with an address to send it to. And if you have a, an unbanded suggestion... You can email that to info at thecigarmy.com, and uh, that will go to my wife, who will take care of sourcing the cigars and unbanding them for us. And uh, and you can always find us at halfash.com and thecigarmy.com. We uh, have somewhat regular postings there, and of course we now have the fully functional Tapatalk-friendly forum up and going at Half Ash. Uh, I'd love to have you over there as well. 
uh, getting a, some growth over there. A few guys hanging out, having some good chatter and conversations, and actually a lot of information flowing through there uh, for uh, for the group, and uh, I'm digging that so far. Absolutely. I uh, <clears throat> commented earlier that I've been a bit busy this week, but without question, uh, I have not forgotten about the chat room, and will be excuse me the uh, the forum. We'll be focusing a little bit more on that on the holiday weekend with a little bit of time around the house to kick back, relax, and do what I want to do. So I absolutely am looking forward to participating more on that without question, as I'm sure you are as well. Yep. <laughs> well, head on up to halfash.com, especially with uh, some news of what's going on next week coming up. TheCigarMe.com, the best darn cigar blog uh, uh, site for uh, cigar reviews. I read your and Yeho review today at work again, and which is blown away by uh, the level of detail and then the just how you were able to make me feel exactly as if I was smoking that cigar. Really, really well written review, my man. <laughs> I've taken some criticism over that review. I'll, I'll tell you really? about later. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised by that. Yeah, but my response to everybody's just bugger off. <laughs> any uh, any feedback? Do we know what the cigar is actually going to be called yet? That in Yeho? Yeah, it's the 888. And, and it, it that was 888. Okay. speculated in the review, which I did early, but those cigars have now landed. They're on the shelf at Tampa Humidor. They sent out an email today. Um, oh. they, have, they are in a high-end sampler pack, and there are also some boxes landing around the country. But uh, they're there. They're called the 888, which is... An oddball opus, Vitola, that came out some time ago, and it's the same same Vitola. Well, there Basically you go. Basically a Lonsdale with a pencil point on one end. Oh. I remember that Fuente, I think. Or that Fuente, I'm sorry, that Lope. opus. Yeah. Yeah, because I love the Petit Lancero, and I thought that that would be... I love the Vitolo, the Petit Lancero, and I thought that that would be kind of a cool uh, variation on it. Yeah, and uh, I uh, put 88X or question mark in the review because at the time I wasn't sure. Uh, when they gave those out at CFC, they did not give us any information whatsoever and just poking and prodding throughout the staff around the, the event. I just got that it would be called the 88 or the 888. They had not decided then back in February, but that, that's now what it is. Well, thank you for that bit of information, and uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in here for another episode of Half-Ashed. We are one minute away from exactly two hours of recording. I'm, I'm rather proud of that. We uh, started on time exactly 15 minutes late at only one minor technical delay, and... Uh, are finishing exactly on schedule as well. So, Kit, my man, thanks for uh, putting up with my uh, my BS as always and for doing what you do for the show. I appreciate it. And without question, thanks to everybody who listens. You guys make it as fun to broadcast as, uh, as it could be. As much as we enjoy doing it on our own, certainly makes it easier when we know other people get some sort of uh, enjoyment out of it as well. So from all of us here at Half-Ash, to all of you wherever the heck you are, thank you and Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>